Well, hey, we are continuing our series when it's all said and done. We're in part four. So last week we took a little time off. You guys saw the Bishop Michael Grant talking about living on the brink and what God can do for us, helping us out and, you know, getting through those hard times. And then next week you will be seeing Pastor Daniel, who is back. My son, Daniel, my youngest son, who is once again on staff here as an associate pastor at Good Hope Church. He'll be preaching next week. And so this week, we're essentially finishing off the When It's All Said and Done series, talking about end times events. Though the week after Daniel, I'll, I'm going to preach on prophecies about the first coming that have been fulfilled. So Jesus came the first time, born in Bethlehem. And, you know, there were so many prophecies about the Christ that would come. So we're going to talk about that as part of, you know, leading up into the Christmas time. So that's what's coming up. But this time we're basically going to finish the dialogue in Matthew 24 and 25. So Matthew 24, we've covered so far. We've talked about the fact that Jesus is coming back, you know, it's not just a die and go to heaven scenario. It's Jesus is coming back here. We talked about the wrath of God, you know, with the great tribulation and then the rescue of the faithful called the rapture. And then last week, uh, last time, I should say, we talked about when is this all going to happen? You know, we don't know. We don't know when it's all going to happen. Today, I want to talk about, so what do we do now? What do, what do we do? If we know these things are coming, but we don't know when, and it's been, you know, thousands of years since this stuff was said, and so we don't necessarily have like a, an expectation that it's going to be tomorrow, which it could be, so you got to be ready. But at the same time, like, you know, what do we do? How do we live our lives anticipating that we can live to old age before the return of Christ and then being ready for the return of Christ at any time as well? What do we do? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We sort of finished with that in part three, but we'll pick it up where we left off. So last time, uh, when we finished off chapter 24, Jesus kind of transitioned from, you know, what's going to happen to how should we behave? You know, like we know that Jesus is going to return. There's this tribulation. There's this rapture. We don't know when it's going to happen exactly, but maybe we can know the seasons and you know, we're not in the dark. So uh, what do we do? Last time, ver uh, part three, we read Matthew 24, 45 through 51, which is who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to go away for a long time. Just keep serving me and do the right things until I come back. If you, if you think you can go do evil while I'm gone, you got another thing coming. That's what Jesus is saying. And this isn't the end of the uh, Olivet Discourse. It goes on through the end of chapter 25. And so there are still 46 more verses 
in what Jesus had to say about end times things, and so we shouldn't cut this short. Let's go ahead and talk about this entire conversation. In these next 46 verses, we have three parables, three parables that basically are about what do we do now? How do we live our lives? How do we serve Jesus in the interim period between when he ascends into heaven to when he returns? What do we do? You know, like in our era, what do we need to do? You know, and he, there's three parables, the parable of the 10 virgins, the parable of the talents or bags of gold, and then the parable of the sheep and the goats. And again, Jesus told all three of these parables in the same sitting as all of the stuff in chapter 24. So this is all one conversation that we are covering over four different weeks. So let's go into chapter 25. We'll read verses 1 through 13, which is the parable of the 10 virgins, and try to get what it is we're supposed to grab hold of from this parable. And then we'll go on to the other two. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both you, for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. All right. So each one of these parables kind of has a similar theme in that there's a warning and there's a distinction between two groups. Here we have the wise virgins and the foolish ones. And I should do some research on what this uh, wedding ritual stuff was back then. What is this 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom? I have honestly have no idea what's going on with that. <laughs> Uh, and I guess the specific context doesn't matter, but it would be good to know. So if any of you are historians and you happen to be watching this on YouTube, go ahead and share in the comments, you know, what in the world's going on with 10 virgins meeting the one bridegroom. And I, you know, like, I, anyway, you can explain that. But the reality is the specific cultural context isn't as important as what the, the message is for us in this. What is the message? The point of this is that we need to be ready for the long haul. You know, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to come back. It's going to be a really, really long time. Here he talks about this, this wedding banquet, you know, and they're super excited. They're ready to go. And it just long, long time. Instead of an exciting evening of fun, whatever it was, instead there's just a whole lot of waiting and waiting, and waiting, and then they all fall asleep, you know? So the main point is be ready for the long haul. Be ready, because this is going to take a long time. Don't think Jesus is going to just come back right away. And of course, 
when Jesus was saying this 2,000 years ago, even though it says that he doesn't know the day, I'm pretty sure Jesus knew that it wasn't going to be real soon. You know what I mean? Like he would have been aware of of that, I would think, you know, even if he doesn't know the exact time, uh, he would know that uh, this generation, you know, this group of people needs to be told that it's going to be a while. Now, there's something scary about the parable of the 10 virgins. The scary thing is this, that all 10 of them knew the bridegroom was coming, all 10 prepared for the bridegroom to come. So if the, you know, the obvious interpretation is Jesus is the bridegroom, he's coming for the bride, which is the church, and when Jesus returns, that there will be ones that are wise and who are ready, and there will be ones who are not wise, who are not ready. And so there, according to this, you know, half of the virgins prepared you know, they knew the bridegroom was coming and they prepared for the bridegroom's arrival, but they end up with the, uh, you can't come in, I don't know you. You know, they end up with that. They end up shut out. So, you know, I, I think it's dangerous to put together a, a theology here, but, uh, you know, because you don't want to just be speculating and guessing stuff. But I think it's important to take seriously that there's a third thing besides knowing Jesus is coming back and preparing for Jesus to come back. And that third thing, you know, in the parable is have extra oil, you know, refill, be able to refill your lamps, you know, because all 10 of them fell asleep. It was a long time. None of them expected it to be that long. They all fell asleep. If, if they thought it was going to be that long, they'd have showed up later to the party because all they're doing is waiting. And they waited so long that the five foolish, their lamps were going out because they're running out of oil. The other ones were able to refill their lamps with the oil they brought. So what is this? That you got the lamps, you know, the, they prepared by bringing lamps and bringing oil, but they didn't bring enough. So what are we talking about here? So how do you keep your oil from running out? Here's, here's the best thing I can say. If you don't want the oil in your lamp to run out while you're waiting for Jesus' return, you don't want your little light that's shining to go dim, then keep refilling your lamp. You know, the wise virgins brought extra oil so they could refill their lamps. How do you refill your lamp in today's world? You know, what does that mean? You know, like, we go, oh, we better go buy some kerosene. You're like, that's not it. Uh, what this means is that as we're waiting for the Lord and we've got our little light shining, you know, like how do we refill our lamp? Well, that means we need to pray. We need to connect with God in prayer. We need to seek the Lord. We need to worship God. We need to spend time in the presence of the Lord, you know, in services and special services and just connecting with God, having your own devotional time where you're seeking the Holy Spirit to bring the Word of God to life in your heart. And, and you're just building that relationship with the Lord. That, to me, is how we add oil to our lamp. We continue building our relationship with God through prayer, through worship, through, you know, the leading of the Holy Spirit and walking in obedience and, and seeking the Lord's guidance and wisdom on things and seeking the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God to life. And, you know, we just live in that life, staying engaged, be like abiding in the vine. You know, we need to refill the oil. So what we started with is not going to be enough to see us through to the end. So you got to refill. And that's something that I know from a preaching perspective, you know, I could preach on stuff I learned in the 90s 
you know, over and over and over and over and over. But I need fresh infilling. I need fresh oil. I need fresh inspiration from God. Or you just sort of dry up, you know, like it's no good. You got to keep learning and growing and receiving from God. And and you got to refill the lamp. So it's going to be a long haul. Keep pouring spiritual things in. Refill the lamp. So keep filling it. Parable number one, the parable of the 10 virgins. The point is be ready to last for the long haul. How do you do that? Keep refilling your lamp through worship, prayer, reading the word, seeking the Lord, these sorts of things. Keep building your relationship with God. All right, so that's the parable of the 10 virgins. Now let's go on to the parable of the talents or bags of gold, as it says in the 2011 NIV. So verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. So these bags of gold, or a talent, which was a measure of weight, uh, was enough basically to be 20 years of a day laborer's wages. So each of these bags of gold is 20 years wages, you know, for a day laborer. So significant amount of money. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, well, it's gotten less fun here, hasn't it? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound good. But what do we got here? We got the parable of the talents or the bags of gold. What's the point of this one? The point of this one is it doesn't really matter what you have. Just put it to work for Jesus. You know, go be making a difference uh, in this world. Go do something purposeful and meaningful. You know, go share the love of God. Go make a difference in some way. Doesn't matter what you have. Doesn't matter what the capacity is. It matters whether or not you're putting it to work. So the one with the five bags who goes to 10 and the one with two who goes to four, they get the same response. You know, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to put you in charge of lots of stuff. You know, come and share your master's happiness. They get the same response. It's word for word, actually, in the text here. So hallelujah, it doesn't matter 
what you have, it matters what you do with what you have. Are you advancing the kingdom of God? Are you growing the things of the Lord? Are, are you making progress, doing something meaningful and purposeful with your life? Or are you doing nothing with what God gave you? Because again, you know, we got the, the parable here is going to be Jesus entrusts us, God entrusts us with things, talents, which it's amazing that the unit of measure was a talent. And in English, a talent is, you know, an ability that's, you know, a God-given ability, a talent. That's kind of neat, you know, the way that worked out. So it's a little bit of a bummer that it says bags of gold now, though that makes more sense, of course, because we don't know what a talent is. But, you know, uh, what are you doing with what God gave you? Your resources, your abilities, your time, what are you doing with it? You know, the guy who gets the weeping and gnashing of teeth thing, wicked, lazy servant, he's called, he didn't steal anything from his master. He gives him the whole thing. Here's your entire, you know, 20 years wages that you trusted me with. I've stolen none of it. He gives it to him. You know, the master's like, that ain't not good enough. You know, you're, you're out. And so he, he, uh, he takes him apart, man. It's, that's just harsh. So it doesn't matter. The point of this one, again, it doesn't matter what you have. Just put it to work for Jesus. Jesus expects us to be actively engaged in making a difference. You've been given a life to live. You've been given abilities and resources. Use those to make a difference, to bring the love of God to this world, to bring forgiveness and mercy and joy. Bring those things to this world. You are responsible for that. Now, if you don't have much and you can't do much, that's okay because Matthew 25, 27 that we read really takes the pressure off. You know, because he doesn't say, you didn't double it. You're, you know, instead it says this in verse 27. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So what is this minimum expectation? Just at least put it on deposit so I can get some interest. You know, how hard is it? Instead of digging a hole in the ground and putting money in a hole, you take it to the bank and say, you know, what's my best option for uh, getting some interest on this? Like, how hard is that? You know, over the next, however long this was, long time, let's call it, 10 years. I don't know. Uh, it's a parable. So there's no actual length of time, but let's say it's 10 years and, uh, you know, you can get some interest back on that. That'd be super good, but he gets nothing. So to me, that really takes the pressure off. Oh, just at least put it on deposit with the bankers and get some interest. You know, you don't have to be this incredible businessman that can double your money, you know, just get some interest. Okay. Well, so what does that mean for us? What does it mean to put your, you know, put your talent, put your bag of gold on deposit with the bankers? I think, you know, I think it's pretty simple. If you're doing normal stuff like, you know, show up for church, maybe give a little bit, maybe serve and volunteer a little bit, you know, that's not that hard. You got your money on deposit, you know, go ahead and do your daily devotions. Just be normal, a normal person living for the Lord. That surely has got to be your money on deposit. You know, you're serving God, you're doing different things, you're making a difference. Uh, you're not the next Billy Graham, but you're just living a normal life, you know, serving the Lord. I think that's plenty good. You know, you don't have to worry, oh no, I'm, I'm not doing enough. I'm going to get the whole wicked, lazy servant thing. Well, just go ahead and, and be engaged, be doing things. And part of that is making sure you have an opportunity mindset rather than a fear mindset. One of the things I find rather fascinating about uh, the parable of the talents, the parable of the bags of gold, is the reason that the guy with the one bag of gold gives. You know, he says, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. He was afraid of the master because he thought he's a hard man, you know, taking stuff that doesn't belong to him, you know. And so he was afraid of him. His fear paralyzed him from being able to go out and try. 
I would love to, you know, have a discussion with Jesus about this parable and say, now, what if he had put his money into the market or, you know, and he, he made some investments, but he lost it all. You know, what would have happened then? You know, would he be, oh, sorry about that. Come on in. You know, you're not going to be in charge of many things, but, but you're in, you're not out the weeping and gnashing of teeth thing. I wonder what would have happened, you know, because I feel like as long as we're trying, you know, it's okay. Go ahead, give it a swing. I feel it all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean, if you don't know me well, you probably think, oh, that Pastor Mike there, he's really doing some good stuff. Like, you have no idea the number of things I've failed at. <laughs> There's some embarrassing ones in there too, but, you know, just go take a swing. Have an opportunity mindset that motivates you to action rather than a fear mindset that, you know, paralyzes you into inaction. I mean, I feel like I'm playing with house money, you know, like here I am. I'm I, somehow I'm alive. Somehow I get to exist. I get to be one of the people. Somehow Jesus died on the cross for me and has given me certain abilities. Like I'm just going to go take some swings and do some stuff. And maybe, you know, if I tell you that Jesus loves you, you might just believe it. And then all of a sudden now I'm getting a return on what God has done for me. And uh, uh, let's just go, go, go ahead and go, go do something. If you fail, learn and grow. Don't be afraid to try. The, the guy who got the weeping and gnashing of teeth and the hypocrite, all that, he was afraid to try. Don't bury your talent because you're afraid to try. We'll give it a shot. You'll fail. <laughs> and then you'll keep at it and then you'll succeed. So there you go. And by the way, at Good Hope Church, we have lots of volunteer opportunities if you want to figure out how to put your talent to work. But of course, it doesn't have to be church related. We don't want to have just a church centric view of how to serve God. You know, you don't have to be volunteering in church to be putting your talent to work, putting what God has given you to work. You know, it can be praying for people, smiling at somebody, encouraging someone, doing a Bible study in your home. It, there's all kinds of ways to serve the Lord that are not church-centric. So, you know, they're body of Christ-centric, of course, because you're in the body of Christ if you believe in Jesus. But, you know, it doesn't have to be at church. You can put your talents, you know, what God has given you to work for his kingdom out there, Go do it. But if you want a formal way of doing it, we have specific ways you can volunteer here. We have ways you can give, ways you can serve, all that stuff. So there you go. So again, Parable of the Ten Virgins, be ready to last for the long haul by refilling your oil. For the second one, the Parable of the Talents or the Bags of Gold, it doesn't really matter what you got, but put it to work for Jesus. And then the third one, the parable of the sheep and the goats. What do we got here? Sheep and the goats. Again, this is all part of the end times discussion from Matthew 24. When the Son of Man comes, uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, 
you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Sheep and goats. Woo. So what's the point of this one? Point of this one is love people and go out of your way to treat them right. <laughs> While we're waiting for Jesus' return, you know, go ahead and refill your oil. You know, be praying and, and connecting with God and growing and all that sort of thing. Be refilling the oil. You know, go ahead and make a difference for the kingdom of God. But if you don't love people, if you don't go out of your way to treat people right, oh, then the sheep and the goats thing is very, very scary. It's a scary one. And, and the scary part about this one is that the goats seem to be completely taken by surprise. You know, like, what? We're not, we're not making it? When, when did we not help you? You know, like, they're, they're confused. I don't, want, I don't want to be shocked and confused on Judgment Day. I don't want you to be shocked and confused on Judgment Day. So what's going on with that? Well, I have something mean in my notes, so I'm going to take a little sip of coffee, and then we'll read it. All right, let's take a little deep breath. What does it say here? Perhaps they thought they would ju be judged by their theological beliefs or by the religious rituals they had participated in rather than how they treated people. You know, maybe they thought, oh, well, I've got this, you know, this list of theological statements that I agree with that I think are very important. I'm good with God. Or I went through these religious rituals. You know, I went ahead and did the things. I'm good with God. But what this is saying is you can do whatever you want. You don't treat people right. That's not going to work because Jesus takes it personally. If you don't help those who need help, if you're not kind to those who need some kindness, if you're not there for those, you know, in your world that you can be there for, Jesus takes it personally. There's no mention in the sheep and the goats about theology or religious rituals. It's do you treat people right? So this is pretty important stuff. You know, and it's scary that they seem to be taken completely by surprise. So we certainly don't want to be in that goat category where, you know, like, they, did you know there's prideful Christians? They would be goats, you know, just letting you know. If you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're mean to people, you're like, oh, you think the wrong theological ideas, so I'm way better than you. You're a goat. Don't be a goat, man. <laughs> you got to love people. You got to have a heart for people. You got to care about people. So how do you how do you make sure you're a sheep and not a goat? I think it's it's simple, but it, can, it but it's impossible without God. But it's very simple. You know, receive the love of God. Allow yourself to be loved by God. He sees through all the garbage into the beauty of who you truly are. Let him love you. And then, you know, be forgiven of all that garbage that's hanging on you. And then embrace, you know, grab hold of the love of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And then share that love with other people. Care about them like how Jesus cares about you. And there you go. But if you're just going to have that sin nature, you know, that fleshly pride and yuck in there, and you're going to put religious ritual and theological ideas on top of it, it's not going to work. You got to fix that thing in there. And that takes the Lord. That takes being born again. That takes receiving forgiveness, trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, but then really bringing the heart of God into your heart so that you can share that with others and have it in there. Super, super important. So 
receive the love of God, get your inner healing, and share that love with others. All right, let's talk about this recap here. So what do we do until Jesus returns? You know, one of the things we've talked about with this whole series is what do we know for sure and what do we guess at? Well, a lot of the things as far as like when is this all going to happen, what exactly does it look like, you know, what's really going to happen, a lot of that is conjecture. But I think these three things that we talked about today are things we know for sure. We know for sure that you got to keep adding oil to your lamp or your flame goes out. We know for sure that God expects us to bear fruit, to get some produce, to make a difference, to to have a return on what he's given us. We, he, we know that. He wants us to do right in this world. And then we know we got to love people. We got to treat people right. You know, these things aren't real complicated. Maintain your relationship with God. You know, add oil through prayer and worship and, and letting the Holy Spirit guide you uh, through life and through your scripture readings. And, you know, spend time uh, loving God. You know, like, do that. And then make a difference. You know, help share the message of the love of God, the redemption of God you know, uh, new life, abundant life in Christ and everlasting life, help be part of making that real. And I mean, so many huge ways to do that. I mean, church cleaning is a big deal. You think church cleaning isn't part of, uh, you know, putting your talents to work? It sure is. Being in the nursery? Oh, I tell you what, for a young family to be able to come to church and trust somebody with their six-month-old and be able to have peace when they're in a church service until the number comes up on the screen that your kid, your kid needs some help, uh, you know, like, that's, oh, it's huge. Seeing somebody at Walmart who needs an encouraging word and having the courage to say, hey, I, I just feel like God wants you to know that he sees what you're going through. Like, to be able to share something like that with somebody, why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, we might as well bear fruit for the kingdom of God, put our talent to work. And then the third one, you know, love people, care about people. That takes getting the right thing on the inside. So let's do those three things. Keep refilling your oil, get some purposeful work done for, for Jesus in this life, and then go out of your way to treat people right, to show love to people. So two things. I want to talk about Jesus as our substitute and Jesus as our example. You know, Jesus died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus was a substitute for us. He paid the price. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus paid the price for sin so that we wouldn't have to. So hallelujah for that. Jesus paid the price. So he is our substitute on the cross, but Jesus is our example on how to love people how to interact with other people, how to have sacrificial love for others. So we don't say, well, Jesus had sacrificial love for others for me, so I don't have to do that. No, he died on the cross for you, so you don't have to do that. But now we want to live for Jesus. We want to love others. I'm going to read from 1 John 4, 16 through 19, and then we'll receive Holy Communion. It says this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, so there's more work to be done there. We love because he first loved us. So Jesus shows his love for us by redeeming us through his death on the cross. But then it's our responsibility to live like Christ, to learn from him, to receive 
the Holy Spirit and live in that spirit rather than a jealous spirit or an angry spirit or a selfish spirit or whatever, all the, but Holy Spirit within us, you know, loving people and having sacrificial love for others, you know, going out of our way. So uh, I said earlier, you know, it's a simple idea, but it takes the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great plan of redemption, that you don't cast us aside in our failures, but you clean us off and you give us a new start. Lord, help us to believe in that. And Lord Jesus, we honor you for what you did on the cross, making this plan possible. You paid the price for us as our substitute, but Lord, you also lived as our example and let us, as we receive Holy Communion, receive of your spirit so that we can live that example out of sacrificial love for others, of compassion, of joy, of all the things that you embody. Lord, help us to receive of that so that we have some of it to give. Amen.